Don't forget that the bulletin is a, a great place to look at to find out information about Timberline. We've got the connection card there as well in your seat back so that you can communicate with us if you'd like information about ministries. As always, uh, the website is a great place to look as well uh, if you'd like uh, up-to-date information. Well, we are looking at our uh, second sermon in this mini-series on Samson. How many of you were here last weekend? So you got the first part. How many of you are going to be here next weekend so you may win the new car? Just let me... (laughs) All right, just a brief series here, and we're going to look today at fault lines in Samson. The guy got married, but that went horribly wrong. And now we're going to read a passage of Scripture. Be warned, because there's some pretty tough stuff in here. But this is the next episode in his saga. Judges 15. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to visit my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her, he said, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Does anybody else think like me? That's kind of rude. I think so. Anyway, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, uh, spreading out near Lehi. The men of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We've come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you, you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. I am slowly and gradually learning that it is wrong to make quick assumptions. I have now discovered, as a result of 35 years on this planet, that assuming anything is a bad idea. I never, for example, assume that when I go through a fast food drive-through that the person listening to my order will actually understand what I want. I always order a hamburger and fries and come out with 35 apple pies because of this speech impediment that I have. And so what I do is I I do a false Texas accent, which is so appalling I'm not going to inflict it upon you right now. I just don't want to assume that they'll, they'll understand me. I never assume if I meet two ladies together who look similar, I never assume that one is the mother to the other. 
I did that one time. I went into a hospital and there was a lady lying there in the bed on a drip looking pallid and a lady standing next to her, the visitor. And I looked at the visitor and without engaging brain, I said, hi, you must be her mother. And she looked at me and she said, I'm her sister and I will hate you for the rest of my life. (laughs) Gentlemen, let me help you. Never assume that a woman is pregnant. No, no, no. I don't care how big she looks. I don't care that it looks like she's got a house group in there. It doesn't matter. If you say, when's the baby due and there is no baby due, (laughs) never make assumptions. I would like to suggest that one of Samson's problems was that he continuously made assumptions and that led him to a false, or, or to an arrogance because of those false assumptions. That's the, the first thing in your bulletin. His, his major San Andreas fault line was arrogance. That's where it went wrong. It's interesting that blessing, God's blessing, can be dangerous. Samson is the only judge of whom it is said that God blessed him, but blessing can be dangerous. It can lead you into warped thinking. A couple of things can happen. First of all, because God blesses you, you can start to think that you're special. And because you think you're special, you can think that you're different and therefore that the rules that apply to everybody else somehow don't apply to you because you're blessed. It's interesting that Samson is consorting with prostitutes but describes himself in Judges 15 as the servant of the Lord. As if somehow, because he's blessed... He's different and therefore he can have his own rules and how wrong that is. And then it can lead you to presuming upon God's blessing. When you examine Samson's prayer life, at least that's what was recorded, uh, he only ever prays twice. He prays, first of all, that God will spare his life when he's thirsty. And secondly, he prays that God will enable him in his death. So he prays to survive And he prays for his dying. I don't know about you, but that looks to me like a kind of 911 prayer life. Sort of emergencies only. And it's possible to do that, isn't it? Just to to only ever really cry out to God when everything is wrong and then you vow a vow. If you do this for me, God, I will. And then carry on with life. He only ever prayed two prayers that are recorded. And then the the work of the Spirit in his life is interesting. Three times it is said of Samson that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. But notice that each time it's about power, but there doesn't seem to be anything much going on in terms of relationship. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he killed a lion. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him when he was in battle. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him when he was tied up with ropes and handed over to the Philistines. What's going on here? Because this guy is messing up, and yet the Spirit of the Lord seems to be working in his life. I mean, we need to dig a little here, because there's a problem. In the Old Testament, for various cultural reasons, God said, don't marry women from foreign nations. Now, Samson is marrying a woman from not only a foreign, but an enemy nation, and God is using that, it says, as an occasion to provoke the Philistines. Now, stop right there. Because one minute God's saying, don't do that, and the next minute he seems to be blessing that which he says, don't do. So is God confused? We can't just skate over this. Can we see 
that there are times, in fact there are many times, when God blesses that which he didn't author, but he is the redeemer. He turns our foolishness around and can bring good out of it. You remember a few months ago, we were talking about how the people of Israel demanded a human king. That was a bad idea. God turned that around and redeemed that for his own purposes. Not only that, but because God is with somebody doesn't mean that he endorses everything that they do. Let me demonstrate. Let's, let's take a teaching moment here. I am going to try to draw something now, which is going to be proof to you as to why I usually speak and do not draw. But we'll, we'll, we'll give it a go. This idea that God blessing and, and somehow that that endorses everything that the person he blesses does. Let's, let's, let's uh, use an idea here. Uh, here's a TV and uh, here is a, a TV evangelist, okay? And, uh, uh, and, and uh, it doesn't mean that he's on, because he or she's on TV that makes them bad. It, it doesn't, okay? Let me make, make that really clear. However, let's say that this TV evangelist is into kind of stupid stuff and he is suggesting that if you send him $50 right now on your Visa card, that he will send you oil from Israel and you're going to get healed. Okay, let's just, and, and how many know that's heresy? That's, that's not true. Okay, now here's you. And uh, you are pretty keen on being healed. And, uh, and uh, you were watching the TV and you tuned in to the TV evangelist. And guess what happened? You stretched out your hand and you touched the screen and guess what? You were healed. Genuinely healed. The doctor has confirmed it. I mean, God has done a work. Your temptation is to turn around and say, I got healing through this, therefore everything that this guy says and does must be right. Because, hey, didn't God bless him? But let me show you something. Your healing came from God. It didn't come from him. And this God of ours, he's at work in the whole messed up world that you and the evangelists live in. You see, because we experience blessing through somebody doesn't mean that God is endorsing or blessing everything that they do. It's an interesting thing as we look at this arrogance that was in Samson. Well, the second thing is that actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. Look at verse 1 again. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. Gentlemen, just brace yourself, because I'm going to give you a bit of romantic advice here. Samson gets married to this lady. He has a fight at the reception. He calls his wife a heifer at the reception. Judges 14. I'm not making it up, it's there. He storms out of the wedding reception, kills a bunch of guys, doesn't show up for a year. A year has gone by, then he shows up at his wife's house with a pet goat as a gift. Honey, I'm home! How many of you know that if you storm out of your marriage reception and you call your wife a heifer, then you show up with a wild animal? This is not a prelude to a fantastically romantic evening. I don't care if that thing's got a blue ribbon round its neck, it's still not going to work. Samson seems oblivious to consequences. It's like, yeah. (laughs) 
Legally, the woman was still his wife. And yet, this guy seems to be unaware that what he has done has produced consequences. As a pastor, I've seen this with Christians. Someone messes up in a marriage, and then they say, uh, well, forgive me, honey, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and because you're a Christian, you have to forgive me. And we're back to normal, aren't we? And instead of begging for forgiveness, we insist upon it. Forgetting that our actions very clearly have consequences. There's a hint in the word forgiveness. It is forgiveness. It also challenges me. I wonder what seeds, you and I, I wonder what seeds we might be sowing right now. And yeah, in the future God can forgive us, but the harvest might be bitter. This guy seemed oblivious to the results of his own actions. Is that happening with us? What action do we need to step away from? The third thing is that vengeance is emotionally exhausting. Vengeance is emotionally exhausting. He went out, look at this, and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. Um, I've been collecting bumper sticker sayings. I know I'm weird, but I'm interested in some of those bumper stickers that you see. I saw one the other day. It said, uh, on the back of this car, it said, if you can read this, I've lost my trailer. I I like that. Here's another one. Uh, I break suddenly for tailgaters. That's a healthy warning, isn't it? Uh, you may, I'm sure you've seen this one, a kind of Christian one. In the event of the rapture, this car will be driverless. Uh, I'm sorry, if you've got that on your car, I apologise, but I think it's kind of stupid. You know, like you're driving down the freeway and someone goes, Oh, look, honey, there's a driverless car over there. Oh, it's all right, honey. There's a bumper sticker that says there's a rapture. That's, that's why. I, I like this one. It's a kind of a, a response. In the event of the rapture, can I have your car? I like that. That's, that's good, isn't it? Here's one. Here's one. I'm out of estrogen. Sorry, I'm out of estrogen. Sorry, I mispronounced it, Okay. I'm out of estrogen and I have a gun. I like that. That's, that's good. Here's a really, really bad one. I don't get mad. I get even. It's a bad idea. Because vengeance is an exhausting business. This passage is not about forgiveness, but it is about the escalating power of vengeance. We had some mice show up at our house a few months ago. Five mice in our garage. And so I, the great hunter, went out into the garage and with blood-curdling cries, I did pursue the mice for 30 minutes. 30 minutes later, I was exhausted and five mice still lived. Three hundred Boxes. 300 boxes. You get that one and you're just, just trying to bite you and it's shaking around. And just get in there and shove it in the bag. And 300. 
and then it's time for foxtail braiding. And then, you're not done, honey, because you've got to put a, a torch on their tails. You know, I'm exhausted just telling you about it. Vengeance will take your breath away. It will fill your mind. It will rob you of your joy. The wrong people get hurt. This man's, Samson's wife and family were burned to death. Forgiveness can be hard, can't it? C.S. Lewis says forgiveness, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. It consumes our mind. It might have consumed this service in your mind. And there are beautiful moments of grace that stir us. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, while he was still in prison, the architect of apartheid, Hendrik Verward, died. One of the first things that Mandela did when he got out of prison, when he was released, was to visit the white-only suburb where Verward's widow Betsy lived and she received him with open arms. What a beautiful portrait of grace. So when we forgive, we, we, we take our lives back. We make a choice. In 1999, Denise Green and her husband Bill discovered that when their son William died in Britain's Alday Hay Hospital in 1992, that the hospital, without getting permission from the parents, harvested his organs and the organs of hundreds of other children for research purposes without consent. There was a national outcry. The government spokesman said, this is unforgivable. But Denise Green disagreed. She said, what happened was out of my control, but how I respond is within my control. Forgiveness is not allowing someone to escape from the consequences of a crime or somehow justifying or minimalizing what was done. Forgiveness does not always lead to reconciliation. That may not be possible or viable. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you somehow magically forget what was done to you or you pretend that you haven't been hurt. The first person to benefit is the forgiver. And the first person to be wounded by bitterness is the one who will not forgive. But I want to say this, it's often a journey. I get really worried when I hear preachers, and thank God I've never heard it done here, I've heard preachers say, just forgive right now. And there is that lady out there who has been terribly abused, and yet again another guy is saying, do this and do it now. Forgiveness may come as a result of a long journey of many steps. And it might be that right now you have a situation in your life and you are angry and you don't want to forgive, you want to see the person suffer and you like to watch. Why don't we bring even that to Jesus and say, God, I'd, I'd like to have, I'd like to go in the right direction with this, but it's going to take grace and will you help me? A friend of mine here in Timberline talks about premature forgiveness where we get people to say a little mantra, I forgive, but they don't really understand what they're doing. And to go in that direction might be a massive step today. But please know this, 
the alternative to going in that direction is a, is a bitterness that will eat our soul. Vengeance, the power of vengeance is seen very clearly, but how exhausting it is. The fourth thing is that disappointment with our own, with our own people, can be devastating. Disappointment with our own can be devastating. Verse 11, 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, don't you realise the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Can you just imagine that? You open the door and there's 3,000 people from Timberline that have showed up. And they say, hey, Samson, how are you doing? This is fine. How are you guys? And you say, uh, pretty good. We're not going to kill you, but we are going to hand you over to those murdering, torturing Philistines who are possibly going to disembowel you or something worse. But we love you. Bless you. I think this is a key moment in Samson's life because he was deserted by his own people. We feel that badly. We're passionate people and passionate people struggle with disappointment and disillusionment. I, I love being part of Timberline, but we're going to let you down. I don't say that as an excuse. I say that as the, an apology and the reality. I mean, look around. Look who they allow to come to church these days. And we're fragile, incomplete people, and I include myself among the primary ones. We are going to mess it up. That doesn't give us an excuse. We just need to be real. But it can be very wounding when your own crowd hurt you. Sometimes when I'm out traveling, people come up and say the weirdest things after I've preached. And I, I was preaching at a men's conference. I, I, I won't say where in case you're from Oregon. And I was in this... I was at this conference and this guy came up to me after I'd preached and he said, do you mind if I say something to you in love? <laughs> How many know that when, when they say that, they're going to probably neither be truthful nor loving if they predicate the sentence with that particular scripture. It's time to find a nuclear fallout shelter. So I said, yeah, go ahead. I think you're going to anyway. So yeah, okay. He said, when you were preaching tonight... I saw a mark on your head. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me right now. Would you quit that? <laughs> now, I'm the, I said, of course. The, I said, that was the light hitting what used to be a hairstyle. Now is a shrinking peninsula. You know, that's the way it works. <laughs> he said, no, I saw a mark on your head. I said, what do you think it was? He said, I think it might have been the mark of the beast. Ooh. For those of you who don't know that what that was, he was truthfully and lovingly telling me, Hello, I think you're the Antichrist. Have a nice day. <laughs> now, you, you might be upset with me for saying this. He said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to pray for you? And I've never done this before or since. I said, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd just like you to go away. Because I'm not going to dignify this conversation of madness with further conversation. I, I'm sorry, sir. I just need you. But do you know what? For weeks, that got under my skin. It might not have been that someone hinted that you had some kind of dark place in God's great eschatological plan. 
But you may have been hurt here or elsewhere. Disappointment with your own can be devastating. Why don't we face the reality of that, not possibility, probability, and not allow the enemy to hijack our passion? Why don't we let that go and just keep on following Christ? Well, the last, fifth and last thing is that pride really does come before a fall. Pride really does come before a fall. Verse 16 Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he'd finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. The place was called Ramath-Lehi. There's something missing in this very eloquent Hebrew poem that Samson composed. There's an interesting Hebraic play on words here, which I won't trouble you with. But what is really important is what's missing, and that is God. No mention of God in his monument to himself. Get this. Even the Philistines serving a false god, when they caught Samson, they gave praise to their god. Even they got the fact that self-sufficiency was not the way. But Samson, God had done so much for him, born of a barren mother, called before he was even in the womb, empowered by the Spirit, rescued from so many situations, surrounded by an enduring grace. But he, sang, he sings a song on the hill that is something like, I did it my way. You know what, we as Christians, in a few minutes we're going to end this wonderful service by lifting up the name of Jesus and celebrating. You know why we do that? It's not just because it's a nice way to end the service. We want to end our time by building a monument of praise to God. We are born again of his spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is ours. We have been called, rescued. His grace kisses us every day. That's why we sing. But that leads me to a question as well. Sir, ma'am, why would you try and do life alone? Why would you think that it would be a good idea to just do this in your own strength and power when the grace of God and the resources of God are available for all of us today? We're going to reflect and pray together. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow before you today, we look at a man who was blessed and yet the blessing seemed to create assumptions that led to arrogance. Save us from that. And give us discernment, Lord, when we see true displays of your power. Help us to weave our way through life with wisdom. We see a man who seemed to forget that actions have consequences. Who forgot that seed sown will bring a harvest. And we pause in our praying. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us to have our eyes wide open to the seeds that we plant today. Lest we reap a bitter harvest tomorrow. 
bring our disappointments to you, Lord. Especially when we've been disappointed by those who name your name. Help us in our passion, in our, in our idealism, to never be hijacked by the disappointments that fellowship can bring. Save us, we pray, from building a monument to our own strength or trying to do it our own way. May we not omit you from the song of our lives. And just while I'm praying, wherever you are, if you don't know Jesus, this is a moment for you in your heart to just, in your own words, cry out to him. To say, God, I need you. Not just for this moment, but for my life. I want you. I don't want you to just bless me and forgive me, although I need that. I want you to direct me. I want to be apprenticed by you. Take charge of my life. You don't have to pray it in a specific way, but my Bible says, our Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you make that your heart cry right now, God hears you, responds to you. I want to say before we pray any further as well, that if you're doing that, that our prayer teams are available in both of our venues here at the end of this service. Come and talk to someone about that choice that you're making. But before we conclude this prayer and move on, I want to come back to that portrait of a man catching foxes and tying them tail to tail. If that's you, it, it might be, it might just be that you're ready, you're at a place where you'd say, I forgive. And if you're at that place, that's wonderful. But I would not bully you there. It, it might be that what you're needing to say right now is, God, take me please on a journey, a pathway of recovery. Teach me to want to forgive and then teach me how to forgive. I want to go that direction, Lord. Make me willing. Help me as I do that. Now, wherever you are, ready quickly to, to forgive or maybe just saying, I'm, I'd like to start the journey towards that. Wherever you are, I'd love to just include you in this, this moment of prayer. If that's where you find yourself, would you just slip your hand up for a moment, please, as a way of saying, yeah, include me. Thanks for doing that now. And as you've done it, you can, you can put your hands down. You know the stories, Lord. And you know the pain behind some of the choices that are being made. The choice to forgive, the beginning on the road. Would you draw near to each and every person and grant them grace? Thank you that we affirm today that we don't do this stuff by ourselves. You are risen, Jesus, and your power is mightily at work in us. And so with that in mind, we are hopeful and thankful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue in our worship now in the giving of our 
tithes and offerings. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. We say every week, if you're a guest with us, you don't need to give, but please make use of that connection card. Pop that in the offering plate. Our ushers are going to begin to uh, going to begin to receive the offering. A uh, couple of things. First of all, at the appropriate moment, if you're able and you'd like to, feel free to stand. But also. Let's know that what we're going to do now is not just a song to end. Just go ahead and begin to receive. Uh, it's not just a song, but we are going to make a declaration of dependency upon this God that we sing to. His power is mighty and his power is with us. Let's give and let's worship. You know, as we, we go, there's a line that we've just sung that we must miss. Grateful that you hear us. We go into this new week as a people who are heard by God. Some of us our songs of joy, some of us our quiet weeping, but we are heard. So Lord, with that in our hearts and minds, we go now. We pray that as we go, we will know your strength and power within us. Touching a world in the name of Christ. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Hey, I'm going to be grilling at 4 o'clock, so the sun is going to come out at 3.59. Trust me. Have a great weekend. God bless you. Great to see you. Prayer team are going to be here. If we can pray with you, we'd love to.